Hello and welcome to Unlearn Now Learn, the survivor-led podcast that explores all things domestic violence. So we are here for part two of surviving and thriving after spiritual abuse. So in the last episode, um, you heard some information about understanding what spiritual abuse is and um, we started to hear the beginning of Jen's story. So I'm here again today with Jen. Um, hey. Hey. <laughs> so today we're here to pick up where we left off last about your story. So I remember where we left off last episode. Um, you know, my dad had just left his job and was starting in his new paid position and you had talked about how a lot of this journey you were you were feeling like you were on it alone at this point Mm -hmm. I mean during the time that you know your dad was offered the position was a really turbulent time for us as a couple Um, because I fully and like 100% disagreed with him quitting his job and going on staff at the church. Um, and I had tried to kind of discuss that and, you know, give different options. Like if you want to pursue the path of being a minister, then, you know, maybe, think about going back to school Mm -hmm. um getting a theology degree or whatever it might be for him and again I was having trouble articulating exactly what was going on and why I didn't want to go that path Mm -hmm. but what ended up happening is it created such a division between us because the pastor and his wife were very much involved in that process and we had meetings and you know like several meetings a couple times a week or once a week um, we met with elders we met with you know people who were supposedly mentors to mm. the pastor and his wife mm-hmm. um, and you know they were all sort of saying the same rhetoric like there's a call on your life. God has a call on your life. You know, this is this is something that your husband's called to and you need to be in a supportive role um, in order to feel, fulfill God's calling on his life. And um, I was pretty adamant to the pastor and his wife, you know, well, why doesn't he go back to school if this is, you know, And it was always the same kind of answers like, oh, we'll take care of that in-house. And, Hmm. you know, you don't need that education and schooling. That's just a lot of money and wasted time. And, you know, the call of God on your life is something that God God ordains you to. and, And he gives you the spiritual gifts to be able to function in that role. And all of these things that just sounded like gobbledygook to me. Yeah. So... Um, you know, your dad and I talked at length about this and, and he, you know, listened and, and whatnot. But the key to this whole thing is that the day that he went out 
for lunch with the pastor and the pastor presented this offer. Mm-hmm. When he came home through the front door, I could see it all over his face, his body language, everything that in his mind he had already made the decision. Mm-hmm. Like it was just this great opportunity for him to fulfill his faith and spiritual walk and call of God on his life. And so I kind of felt like it was done before it even started. Yeah. Um, we went to, like I said, I think in the previous episode, we went to a couple counselors. And oddly enough, um, I think it was two, two of them in particular said, if you guys can't get into agreement, then you shouldn't make a decision. Hmm. Um, so we actually couldn't make a decision and we went back to the pastor and his wife and they gave us um, an extended period of time mm. to figure it out and make the decision. But in the end, you know, again, from the rhetoric and from the teachings of the church and just, you know, whatever was happening in your dad's mind was he really felt strongly that God had called him and told him that this was the right decision. And so that's the decision that was made. Wow. So in terms of like healthy decision-making processes and, um, you know, healthy relational communication and whatnot, that was just a huge blow for me. Yeah. Um, because I was not in the space where I was thinking, this is how my marriage is going to be, where I'm not going to have a voice. And uh, for me personally, and we touched on it in the last episode, this is where it really became a journey for me alone. Um, because that was kind of the beginning of the end in terms of my ability to trust mm. um, and to feel safe. Um, I, I just felt like I was completely, um, I don't know what the word is, just overridden. You know, my ability to have a voice, be an equal partner, and the direction of my life was made for me. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty turbulent time, that's for sure. And the funny thing is, all of this was behind closed doors. It was all mm. in secrecy, and the people in the church, the congregation, had no clue that this was going on. It was presented to them out there that, oh, this is just amazing, and mm-hmm. you know, this person, this couple is just called by God, and and the whole entire time, I was living a lie. And there was no space or environment for me to actually voice the truth of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, the appearances of the church and the sort of the systemic unspoken attitudes were, it's all about appearance and performance. And what was I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things in that 
because, you know, you're sort of walking on eggshells when you're in that church setting and, you know, in that environment when you're around people who are reinforcing the abuse. Um, you're, you're forced to live that lie. And at home, the pressures are different because it's your home and you're with your spouse, but that is creeping into your your personal life pretty significantly at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And like for dad to um, feel so strongly about it and feel so passionately and and solid in that choice when it's based on something really good and really important to him um it's really really difficult to see the red flags and you might have felt some of the pressure to you know not want to crush that dream of his and crush that passion of his absolutely because that was a dream before you met me yeah and uh yeah yeah, and, the, you know, and just in speaking that right now, it's very interesting to me that what was an issue presented by leaders in an organization now became a severe issue between us personally. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where it really changed because that's where I felt... Um, you know, if two, if a couple is united on what they <clears throat> think or what they want to do or whatever, even if there's outside influences mm-hmm. that are trying to pressure you, if you're united together, you can work through that. Yeah. But this became a divisive thing between a married couple. Yeah. And that's where... That's where the story really turns pretty drastic mm. for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, part of their tactic. And and one of the methods of control is, you know, isolating partners mm-hmm. and isolating people and creating division, like you said, within a family system. Yes. And I mean, that was that was became more apparent over time as well because we had a number of friends that um, left the church at different times or their marriages were falling apart mm. and when we when you drill down what it came back to is a division between the spouses mm. and what that division was was the church had this idea that God came before your your marriage and I mean hey there's lots of beliefs out there and God, if you are a believer in God, of course, God is very important, but God also gave us human characteristics, a brain and the ability to love and have a partnership. I really don't think that if there's a loving God, he would want that division between a husband and a wife or a partners, any kind of partners. Yeah. Um, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous to think that a church would think it's okay to bring division between a husband and a wife or any kind of partnership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, can, you know that 
these attitudes and beliefs are not being passed down from genuinely believing that they're good or that's what you know God wants it's it's a method it's you know a, a mode of of controlling and benefiting from the control that people are under mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so <clears throat> you know that that became the beginning of my isolation so I mean I felt very isolated from obviously my husband I felt very isolated from the people who were supposedly my community yeah um, and oddly enough you know nobody really knew me there Mm. even even people who are quote friends you know I had maybe one or two women who you know kind of knew me but the interesting thing and I was I was thinking about this after I listened to the first podcast is that we were and and in general the, the majority of people your history of who you are was never discussed. Mm. People didn't ask about you. Mm. Who who are you? Um, you know, what's your childhood like? What are your do you have parents? Do you have siblings? Um, you know, what what was your life like? What are your interests? None of that. Mm. There was no and and the the church was based what they called based on relationships. But there was actually no relationships. Hmm. Like there was no intimacy in friendships. People had no clue who I was or where I came from. Yeah. Yeah. And probably a lot of people who were part of this group also felt the same way. Probably. Or feel the same way today. It could be. You know? It could be. Because the, the draw is, you know, relationship-based because especially in a church community that's so important and to many people that's so important but to um not actually allow that to develop um well to be honest there wasn't there wasn't time mm, to have relationships because the church was so busy and and interestingly they they busied themselves offering all these you know events and meetings and services and prayer stuff and women's group and men's group and all touting oh we're building relationship but the entire content was based around the church and what the church was doing Mm -hmm. and and you know getting these meetings running and, and you know coming to the meetings nobody talked at the meetings nobody you know relationship would happen when you go to someone's house for coffee yeah but that primarily was not happening well that's as you were talking I was kind of wondering you know these groups what would actually happen at them what would be talked about I mean there were well put it this way there there were times when we would be out seven nights a week at a meeting. Wow. And if not me, but your dad for sure, but 
you know, any number of nights of the week you could be going to some kind of group or meeting or prayer thing or worship service or praise and worship service. Um, and so some of them were like, they had a group for everything. So, you know, it could be a men's business group. It could be a women's. could be mums and tots. It could be learn how to worship. Anything. I mean, they just, they kept you very busy. Mm-hmm. Because I think also the busier you are, the less time you actually have to be still and be authentic. You're Absolutely. Just, you're just so busy trying to take everything in and do everything. You have no time to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very common abuse tactic. You know, as you're talking about that, it it is reminding me again of, of Nixium. Mm-hmm. You know, they were claiming to be this progressive education-based group mm-hmm. and have all these courses, and it was all about education and professional development, personal development, and mm-hmm. just pushing, pushing, pushing for you to take as many classes and learn as much as you can. Um, and you're exactly right. It stops you from being able to think for yourself. It also stops you from seeking help or seeking support or letting any other perspective in that could be a threat to the control that they have. That's right. I mean, and... You know, during these, the next couple years, I guess, I started to really see some of these things clear. Like, I jotted down a few things, uh, you know, before we did this podcast, just about identifying the system of abuse Mm -hmm. in this particular environment. And first off was power posturing. So, you know, the leaders were very big on talking about their authority Mm. and making sure they told everyone else about their authority. The authority, the God-given authority was the the tagline. The God-given authority. And, you know, I think sometimes that happens because you know, that authority isn't actually real. But they have this need to make it known so that they feel more in control. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was performance preoccupation. Just so preoccupied with performing, you mm. know, the best band, the best praise and worship, the best meetings you know millions of meetings covering all topics of every part of your life just completely inundating people with their thinking Mm -hmm. um unspoken rules and this was a huge one for me and i think this was the biggest um stumbling block for my inability to communicate what was happening for me with Mm. other people because unspoken rules are like you don't know what the rules are until you break them because they're not spoken 
Yeah. So, for example, if I would speak out and say, in it, let's say we're having a meeting with pastor and his wife, and I would say, I don't agree with this, you know, like, I'll use a concrete example, like getting paid overtime for the amount of hours or extra hours that your dad worked or, you know, being able to go on a holiday, get, get a week or two <clears throat> off work mm -hmm. so we can actually have a thing. If I would speak up about those things, then I would realize I broke the rule because nobody challenges the pastor. Mm. <clears throat> nobody, you know, criticizes the way, you know, the job function is going or the role. And, and this is what would happen is like peripheral people would not understand that mm -hmm. because they would not be in situations necessarily where they were challenging something. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. In a way, you know, that is the abuser's way of testing how much they can get away with and how much they can push you. It, it's a way of testing um, if you're going to be can... obedient or defiant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing about that is, is that pastor is a very big man like very tall very fills up the room kind of person and I am very short <laughs> tiny person mm -hmm. but as a kid I was bullied I was bullied very badly and my brothers taught me how to fight I'm not a you know proud of that in some <laughs> sense but because I obviously don't uh or support violence <laughs> but you know when you're a kid and I and I just developed a very strong sense of you're not going to tell me what to do mm -hmm. and I think that is something that you know I took into that environment people wouldn't have known that about me mm -hmm. but I certainly am not a pushover and they didn't like that yeah. Yeah. You're a threat at that point. And then there's also the, the, the no talk rule, right? Like you're not allowed to talk about these things. Mm. They, they like to keep you silent. And because if you, if you actually bring up suggestions or issues or whatever, they don't, they don't want to hear that because it actually means they would have to change. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to. No. No. This is why it's such a perfect system of abuse. We were talking, you know, in the first episode, the beginning of this conversation, how, you know, the result of being part of this abusive system is shame. <laughs> yes. And shame is actually what... Um, keeps this a secret shame is what keeps us part of this system and eventually eventually we start doing the work for the abuser they don't have to do it anymore because the shame has taken over the role absolutely and it was very much a shame-based environment um you know if you were obedient and submissive you were rewarded 
if you actually thought for yourself and, you know, assumed responsibility for your own choices and beliefs and spoke those out verbally, you were shamed. You know, you're wrong. Who you are is wrong. What you believe is wrong. And it, it was a real assault on your on your authenticity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is one of the topics that we said would be another really great podcast episode is around shame. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, especially related to your faith. Um, you know, Brene Brown, she... Um, is a researcher and she's become pretty popular recently thanks to Netflix. Okay. Um, but she has done some TED Talks and shared some of her research and um, she talks a lot about shame. And I really like her definition, um, just the most simple way to sum up what she says is that shame is tied to our self-view. Mm-hmm. And when we feel shame, we are saying, I am bad. Mm-hmm. I am not good enough. Um, you know, guilt is much more on the surface. It's related to our, our actions mm-hmm. and our behaviors that we're not happy with. Um, but shame does the deeper work. And it continues to reinforce the message that we get when we're abused that way absolutely and and I mean that was exactly my experience is that you know my self-esteem began to be eroded away and not only in the setting of the church and the leadership and people around me but in my marriage because the more grip the thinking and ideology of the church got a hold of my husband the more the way he and I were interacting displayed that shame-based kind of attitude Mm -hmm. and I know he didn't mean he had no intention of making me feel that way but the fact is it happens Mm -hmm. and you do feel that way Mm-hmm. And that begins to break down the relationship. For sure. You know, I went just trying to kind of go through the timeline. So, you know, things were things were going on, marching on ahead, and, and your dad was on staff. Um, and I have to say this almost like a full disclosure kind of thing, is that I don't want to sit here... And have listeners believe that I was just, you know, defiant all the time and whatever. I admittedly participated in the church mm-hmm. and in leadership things. And I flip-flopped back and forth. So I, I admittedly, you know, was on a bit of a roller coaster of flipping in and out of the role I, that was expected of me. Um, I think I touched on that a little bit in the first episode, but, you know, 
kind of the first stage was this really huge feeling of isolation. Mm. Um, I had left all my friends behind, like my friends before church, you know, high school friends, whatever. Um, I didn't feel like I had any friends at the church. Um, and now I felt like my marriage was falling apart. And my greatest strength and, and person I depended on was my mom. And <clears throat> it's emotional for me because um, she's the only person who really knew what was happening. Yeah. And even when I did try to talk to other people, you know, people at the church just didn't get it. They just didn't understand. And they didn't know me. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, I don't know, lumped me in with your dad and thought, oh, it's the pastor's wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, they were, you know, dealing with their own journey, I guess. I don't know. So the loneliness, you know, and isolation was was a huge, a huge factor to me and, and sort of as I went through that it morphed into just unbearable stress you know I just literally was in survival mode because mm-hmm. I was raising three kids and also you know one of the things that people who knew us from the church didn't know that you know I wanted to go back to university um get an education possibly have a career and all of those things were just sidelined for me against my will it wasn't my choice Mm -hmm. and so this this element of sort of disengaging from my true self in order to survive became the way of life and and there's huge amounts of time during that period where I don't even remember stuff mm-hmm. because I was so disengaged or I'm not sure what like um dissociated disassociated and <clears throat> and it was really just survival yeah you know I was not coping well because it didn't matter where I turned I was not being heard. Yeah. And I think that's a common thread in multiple types of abuse, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were put in an impossible situation and you were asked to perform and put on this this mask mm-hmm. and please others but you were given nothing to be able to accomplish what you needed to and mm-hmm. you had to do it on your own alone and under-resourced and under-supported yeah. and you know I think that it is a testament to your strength that you are here telling your story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one should have to 
be put under that much stress and and you know at the same time like your body did what it was supposed to by mm-hmm. dissociating absolutely and um you know when we go into overdrive like that we we can't bear it and so we have to separate mm-hmm. and you know in that respect it was it was a success yeah for sure in a twisted in way. a twisted way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, and then from there, I mean, again, there were many ups and downs, and and don't get me wrong, there were many good times too. It wasn't just complete, you know, no chaos. Never, never is. Um, but I guess I would say, you know, probably partway through the duration that we were there, so maybe you know, around the fourth year somewhere around there there were pinnacle points where things would flare up again you know like I'm not doing this anymore I can't take it you know this is wrong we're we we're busy all the time our life is out of balance we have three kids you know we need some you need to cut back your hours or whatever it might be and you know we'd have a meeting again it was always the meetings, like the meetings, the meetings, the meetings. And every time I would come away just feeling so deflated and just so bad about myself. Were these meetings being called by the pastor based on what they were seeing or? It could be. I mean, maybe it was, you know, I would voice my opinion to dad and he would go and to work and you know try and discuss it and then the pastor would say well let's meet with my wife and we'll talk about it and and who knows I don't even know half the conversations that went on there so I mean you just never even know what is really what was really happening but no no clearly it wasn't getting resolved and uh I was gonna mention this before and I I had forgotten in this just unbalanced lifestyle that <clears throat> when I was pregnant with you, of course you were born January 1st, mm-hmm. New Year's baby, and you know, December was always just as chaotic month at the church. Yeah, I can imagine. We were out at meetings or functions or whatever for 10 nights in a row, 10 nights in a row before. Wow. And they had a New Year's Eve service every year that usually lasted about four or five hours. And I was so exhausted. Before we went to the service, I was in tears. I was due any time. I was actually overdue with you. Yeah, yeah. And I said to your dad, "I'm, I'm so tired. I can't go. I was in tears. And, you know, we got to go because we're in leadership and they do this big prayer thing and, like, they call everybody up to the front and they go one by one and it's just, like, this huge ordeal. And I went, and I went into labor while we were there. Wow. And we left there. It was, like, I don't know, midnight or not even close to midnight. Went to the hospital and I went into labor and as the labor went, I just 
I was, I would say every cell in my body was so exhausted. I was laying on the bed crying. Said to the doctor, I cannot do this. I'm too exhausted. Wow. Like that's, that's how um, exhausted I was. I never Just, knew that. No, I know. No. Wow. And it it just looking back, I just see how how absurd <laughs> the whole thing is. Like who does that to their body? Yeah. Who does that to their life? Well, that's who, absurd. Who puts a a pregnant woman, let alone any person, in that position? Like that's fucked up. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Again, like I said, as time went on, my my desperation to be rescued really is what it was became huge. Mm-hmm. And my behavior became erratic. And it was a cry for help. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the eyes of the people at the church, that did a disservice to me because they had evidence and proof to say, oh, she's, you know, she's off her rocker. She's weak. She's like everything that happened, mm-hmm. which was literally survival mode, became something they could use to say to your dad you know she's got problems (laughs) and I did have problems Mm -hmm. because nobody would listen of course anyone would and at that point you know they're they're basically sitting around waiting for there to be evidence because Mm -hmm. it makes their case stronger and it's just another act of exploiting you yeah and other people who were there i mean i know of many many stories of other people of a similar situation yeah so i mean how it all came about in the end was um i guess when you guys were toddlers preschoolers they decided that they were going to start a school at the church mm-hmm. and so it was kindergarten to grade eight I think was the beginning of it or maybe six and one of the requirements for those people who were on staff was that their kids had to go to that school wow private school private school in quotations yeah <clears throat> with not certified teachers some there were a couple certified teachers um there was one woman who was an older woman who was a retired teacher but that wasn't a requirement to be a teacher (laughs) at their fucking school (laughs) exactly so that was just like that was the be all and end all for me i'm just like are you kidding me like this is ridiculous not only do our kids have to go there We have to pay for them to go there because it's a private school. So your brother went for kindergarten and grade one. Mm -hmm. And you went for kindergarten. Mm -hmm. 
or junior kindergarten, I think it was. Yeah. Because you two are two years, two years apart in school. Yeah. So junior kindergarten. And that's where it was finished for me. I, the culmination of, you know, the job requirement, what was required of me, just the whole thing. And then the school on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I just, that mama bear inside of me just said, you know what? I might be able to bear all of this till my end of days, but there is absolutely no way my kids are growing up in this. And that was, that was the real crux for me mm. of I have to do something. I have to get out of here. And, you know, at that point I, I was, the only alternative I thought was leaving. I'm leaving my husband. I'm leaving everything. Yeah. Um, but, again, that was a very up and down. And I threatened to leave. I threatened to leave so many times. Like when I was pregnant with my third child, when I was pregnant with you. And I think, I d- again, I did that out of duress thinking this is going to be extreme and if I do this he's going to think oh my gosh I gotta snap out of this like my wife wants to leave me I have to listen to her and change and it it didn't happen well I'm sure that's the last thing you actually wanted absolutely I did not want to I did not want to leave I didn't leave um had some pretty big fights where I walked out but I always came back um so anyway, came to the point where I was not in a good mental state. And again, anybody hearing this is probably just going to think I'm some kind of crazy person. Oh, but then there shouldn't be listeners. <clears throat> I got to a point where I, I mean, before this point, I had had suicidal thoughts. Um goodness I had my mom (laughs) and also the girlfriend who originally brought me to the church I mean we remain friends through all of this Mm. we're still friends today very Mm -hmm. good friends um but I just thought there is only one way or there has to be some kind of extreme way to get your dad's attention and so I I don't know I clearly was not in my right mind but we had just built a new house and I thought, okay, I'm going to burn the house down. I'm going, I had the plan, how I was going to do it. Obviously we were not going to be there at the time. Um, and it was like late morning. I had calculated in my head how I could do this, mm-hmm. you know, take the, sockets off the wall and put (laughs) matches in the walls and they think it was an electrical fire or whatever I mean it was so absurd and so irrational yeah that's how desperate I was yeah and I don't know what happened I remember it was like around lunchtime Mm -hmm. and it was around one o'clock And I was in the kitchen and I thought, this is crazy. I cannot do this. I'm going to call my husband's parents. 
Well, that's pretty crazy, too. It is. (laughs) So, I mean, they were not a fan of our life at all, which I don't blame them. But oddly, they didn't know any of this either. Mm -hmm. This whole entire time, everything was under the radar. So much of this has to happen under the radar. You know, and whenever we had family functions... I'm sure everybody thought, oh, Andrew and I have just this perfect little marriage and everything's hunky-dory and we're both just bought in. But that was not the case at all. So I phoned them and I told them everything. Wow. And I think they were just in shock. And I mean... I told them as much as I could at the time. They, mm-hmm. they still don't know everything, but not that that's necessary. But, um, yeah, I, I told them, and they literally were in shock. Um, I had also, at that same time, was it just, I think it was just that week, sometime in that week, I had gone up to the public school and registered you and your brother, your older brother, mm-hmm. for school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd done this all on my own. Yeah. Uh, your dad didn't know. So that night, your dad came home from work. And I don't know, I think it was the um, verbalizing was a release for me to take back some of my power Mm -hmm. because from that point on after I called his parents it was just like the hammer fell and I I was done and that's what happened when your dad came home from work I told him I said called your parents today I told them everything I've registered the kids in school they're done they're going up there on Monday, and I'm never going back hmm. to that church ever again. And that's the last time I ever went back. I never went. It was there was wow. like it was a Thursday or Friday, and I said I'm not going on Sunday, and I'm never going back. And I never did. That gives me chills. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then that was the beginning of a whole other shitstorm, pretty much. Well, because you know pastor knew that shit was going to hit the fan yeah 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 it changes the dynamic completely you you have stepped out of the cycle Mm -hmm. and you know that that creates this domino effect so yeah in a way like the pastor the pastor knew that it was all over and you know, you had mentioned that this was, in a way, an ending of that chapter and the start of a completely new one and kind of opening up a new can of worms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's part of the cycle, too, is um, this is something I talked about in my episode on understanding domestic violence. Um, you know, in any abuse cycle we have the misconception that 
leaving is going to be the end of it, but it's really not. And when we leave an unsafe situation and we're, you know, just starting to find safety in ourself or um, starting to make changes that make us feel safer, we're allowed to breathe again where we weren't before. And so when we can actually take that pause and catch our breath and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, I need to start unpacking this. All of the things that we bottled and that we had to repress in order to survive, it all starts to surface. And Mm -hmm. so it really is the start of this whole new chapter and and it can be just as tumultuous if not more sometimes absolutely (laughs) and that was very true for for me um I mean I your dad was in shock obviously Mm. um and it and it wasn't just a cut and dry thing I mean it I just for me it was but Mm -hmm he was in a completely different place and a completely different headspace. Yeah. And I don't really think he knew what to do because I literally said to him, it's me or the church. Mm. I'm done. And the ball's in your court. And I refuse to go back there. So however this is going to play out, we're going to have to figure this out. And, and you know, kudos to him. He He's, as you know, <laughs> Mr. Optimism, which is an excellent quality to have. <laughs> I admire that. So I really think he just thought, you know, we're going to talk about this. We're going to, and we did. We wrote down mm-hmm. a list of, you know, concerns and things we wanted to see changed and, and I went through the process with him because I knew that he needed to do that. You know, he, we had several meetings set up with the elders, with the pastor and his wife to discuss what the problems were. Mm. And I knew the entire time what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to change my mind. I was not going back. I was open to hearing what they had to say, but I knew it was not going to be pretty. Mm. So we we constructed a list of practical things um, like holidays, like working too much, like raising our family and not having time together as a couple, the the goals that I had in my life, mm-hmm. all of all of these things. And we had this meeting slated. His parents talked to him and they were actually missionaries in Africa so they were going back and forth uh, to Africa and they were heading there or no they were already there no they were heading there that's right Mm -hmm. and they said to me on the phone you know we're going to talk about this and maybe he will come to Africa with us for a couple weeks and maybe getting away getting his head cleared will give him a perspective and that is actually what happened he he went for three weeks um and i can't remember if that was before or after we met with the pastor Mm. um 
But during that time, I don't know, I can't even remember how long it was. It was six weeks. I mean, basically, the gist of what your dad was told by the pastor was, get your wife in line, <laughs> figure it out, and then you guys need to decide. So they, they put him on leave I don't know it was like four weeks I think four weeks leave okay for us to figure out to figure things out and get it sorted out so that you can come so back we could come and- back and really the entire time I was just like for me personally it was pointless because I had made my decision um, but for the fairness of your dad you know, I was like, okay, I'm willing to go through this process and whatever. In the meantime, I had, <laughs> I mean, I, at that point I was kind of like, it was all unleashed. So I was, if somebody asked me, I was telling them yeah. what it was. Um, but I also, there was, there was a, a pastor and his wife who were, not part of our that church but were good friends with the pastor and his wife and we had met with them a couple times and his wife was so sweet she just seemed like the sweetest lady and I it was one glimmer of hope that I thought these people can't buy into all this like they they are part of a broader church body but they're they don't seem like they're totally bought in or they're they they seemed like they had different thinking Mm -hmm. and again I was still in a very desperate stage so I did one thing that I regret but I don't regret so in trying to reach out to them and say help me please help me you know Please have some kind of influence on my husband. Please bring some balance and truth to this situation. I actually sent an email to them as if it was your dad Mm. and actually signed his name at the bottom. (laughs) And I don't remember exactly what I said, but shockingly, they were just like everyone else. Wow. And, of course, I don't know what happened to the email. I'm sure it went to the pastor and his wife and who knows, the elders, and who knows what else. And, again, just came back. Not, you know, this is a serious situation. Clearly, there's some um, concerns and misunderstandings, and let's openly talk about this. Mm -hmm. It was just like... Nobody could see past my cry for help. It was just, it was just like, I don't know, bouncing off a glass wall. Like everybody was just, everybody drank the water. They were all bought into it. Wow. And it was, it was devastating to me. And obviously that was not the right way to go about things. Well, at the time it was. At the time it was like, I don't know what else to do. I have to reach out to somebody who I felt like I might be able to trust. Mm-hmm. And it didn't didn't go well. <laughs> so 
You used every single resource that you had available to you. Yeah, I tried. I tried. But regardless, the meetings went on and after four weeks, it was not going well. You know, dad just could not understand my place of I guess I I had little faith that things would change. Mm. So we we had a we had the big meeting with the pastor and his wife at their house. And I was just brutally honest, you know? Here's how it is. Like this is how it is. We need to talk about this. I'm not moving forward and these are the reasons why. And they were they were practical, concrete reasons. They weren't something out there. Yeah. Um, I remember my brother calling me and saying, he lived in Toronto at the time, he said, I will drive from Toronto and I will park my car on the street out front of their <laughs> house and I will be there just for moral support. Amazing. <laughs> anyway, that meeting went very poorly and at one point... It was the pastor and me, and I don't think he knew what was coming because I thought he would, he thought probably that he was just going to talk me out of it or whatever. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty adamant, and uh, he, had, he had a real temper, and I don't even remember what I said. I think I, I said something like, you know, my life has been hell on earth during this time or something like Mm -hmm. that and he was sitting on a couch there was a coffee table in between us and he came out of the off the couch across that coffee table right at me and slammed his fist down on that coffee table I thought he was just gonna take me by the throat like he was so mad wow and then he just got up and walked away and that was the one thing that shook your dad Mm. he was like what the heck wow because he went into that meeting thinking this was all going to be great we're going to talk about it we're going to be you know four rational people here discussing this in a respectful way and that's not at all how the meeting went well I don't think my dad from the sound of how this all happened um he was close he mm-hmm. was close to the leader, and so... He was. You know... He was his right-hand man. Yeah. So, you know, he saw the best in him, and yep. um, probably was was um, consumed with all the good things because it was tied to his core values and something that he really believed in and really, um, you know wanted to be part of yeah and and, um it makes you a little blind and so I'm sure that really did catch him off guard seeing that for the first time Mm -hmm. for sure was there any aftermath between you and him to talk about what happened like what was his reaction was he like your dad yeah oh yeah we talked a lot about it after that and he he was pretty blown away he was like I I was not expecting that I am shocked Mm. and I think he really was a bit traumatized um 
because his expectations were so admirable and he really thought you know we were going to work this out with them and I think his his hopes were just dashed like he just was shocked Mm. um and then I think he went away to Africa after that I don't know it's again it's all a blur there was there was a period of time in there where we got an extension by two weeks you know to still figure it out and then then basically I think when your dad you know decided okay well obviously I'm gonna choose my wife and family and he was basically fired but they didn't fire him they they I can't remember how it all went down but it was basically this Mickey Mouse roundabout way of Mm -hmm. saying you know if you're if your wife's not on board you can't work here anymore and really, we had a number of people that had advised us to go after them for a wrongful dismissal. Because really? it was a job. He was getting paid people for People from the church no. advising you? Okay. No, not people from the church. Yeah, I was no. wondering. Nope. Um, but anyway, of course, that wasn't something your dad felt strong about, and he, he didn't feel right about it. So, yeah, it um, when we were basically done and your dad resigned and I think that's how it ended up happening he basically was coerced into for sure voluntarily resigning yeah um you know what happened after that was that there was a very fringe group of people who were sort of like what the heck and for the next two three weeks two months three months I don't know knocks at the door phone calls like what is going on what is going Mm. on and that also became an issue between he and I because I am very blunt and I was just like this is what happened Mm -hmm. but of course your dad was still he still had not left you know, the mentality was still there. Yeah. And the the um, warped belief system was still there. You had different perspectives. Yeah. And he was still defending, uh, from my perception anyway, it felt like he was still defending the pastor and the church. And I don't think he really knew what to say, um, but he was very diplomatic which is a good thing but also can be harmful because you're not actually speaking the truth and it was very frustrating to me the other the close people in leadership and we heard this from another a friend of ours who was in leadership um they had this big sunday night meeting which we had i can't remember if it was every sunday or once a month the, all the leadership, including the volunteer leadership, mm-hmm. had these meetings. Um, and they were told at this meeting that they were not allowed to talk to us. Hmm. And that actually the person, the person who told us this 
actually recorded the meeting. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. And I don't know what all was said exactly beyond that point to the leadership, to the elders, to the youth group, whoever, I don't know. But I know there was something spoken from the Sunday morning sermon about it and whatever version they gave I don't know but a lot of people did not know what happened mm-hmm. yeah and I mean it was hard it was it was difficult it was difficult to leave I mean I abruptly left with no explanation to I mean I think it was like the congregation was something like 750 people at that time wow that's a lot of people yeah a lot of people who were just kind of left going what the heck just happened mm-hmm. and in fairness to them you know one day I was there one day I wasn't I know I I was the um center probably of a lot of the talk or the rhetoric or the narrative that was put out there by the pastor. Um, it's just crazy to me how people who are supposed to have a relational community, you know, all based on relationships, are told not to talk to us. And secondly, would not talk to us, mm-hmm. would actually listen to that. You know, you have to ask yourself, what kind of relationship did you actually have with these people? Yeah. Because true friends would reach out and say, what's happening? You know, you're obviously, something's going on. We're concerned. We love you. We care about you. We're, it just boggles my mind how controlled these people were. Yeah. Yeah. It's so extremely difficult if at all possible to have any authenticity when you're under duress like it's just it kind of goes out the window because when you're under duress you need only what it takes to survive Mm -hmm. so you know anything that's not related to your imminent survival is tossed to the side and people's real values that they might have had before um you know experiencing abuse or um being you know coerced or put under pressure in that environment they are sort of reshaped and um forgotten Mm -hmm. and i've I'm sure that a lot of people in that environment were not acting true to who they are. Exactly. And not not because they were choosing to be bad people, but because they were part of the same system of abuse that I was. And that was one of the things that just killed me after I left was what about all those people that are still there? You know, they they don't know what happened to us. They don't understand maybe what the inner circle of leadership was, you know, um, having to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
know, it just, and the kids, like that, that was the one thing that just broke my heart is just, you know, the kids growing up in that system. Yeah. That, that just, it's just so damaging. And, you know, my heart just broke for all those kids that were still left there. Because I knew what was happening. I knew the kind of teaching. I knew the kind of control and manipulation that was happening. We were very involved in the youth group, you know, and it was just, it, there were so many things there that I could not support. I could not be involved in. Mm -hmm. I cared about the people. I cared about the youth. I cared about the kids. Of course. But I could not, I had no space to show my love and my unconditional acceptance of these people the way I was shown from my mom and, you know, to try to be that person within the systemic abuse of what was going on there, it just, it was impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, your dad went to Africa. He came home, and the journey began. <laughs> we we did leave, and uh, you know, we're still. There's still things that come up now after you know it's been like close to thirty years, probably. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, there's so much that's left without closure. And there's so much to, um, like, unpack, honestly. Yeah. You know? And there's, there's a lot of, like, injustice. Mm hmm And, you know, maybe even some survivor guilt. And Absolutely. Things like that. Um, there is. It, slow, it slows down the healing process, right? Makes I it mean, for you, yeah. Absolutely. For years, I, I, I fixated on what, you know, all these different things. What can I do to, to penetrate the headspace of the people who are left there? But I realized there's nothing I could do because everybody's journey is their own. And all I could do was be there if somebody reached out to me. And that did happen several times. Mm. Other people who left, other people who have been on a, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 year journey of recovery. It happened several times. Mm. And I was there. I hadn't talked to these people in 15, 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. Well, I can imagine that, you know, so many people were feeling the same things and nobody was allowed to say it out loud and admit it to themselves. Yeah. Um, and so when people would leave that situation or get away from it and start to, you know, find some safety and start to get on a healing journey of their own, they can start to put the pieces together pretty quickly of what what um, 
might have happened for mm-hmm. other people who left before them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's relatable. I think that's true. There's a there's a certain bond there. Yeah. There is, I mean, there is a, a knowing that you can't know unless you've experienced that environment. And that is definitely a bond. And I think it's an important one, you know, because the this isn't a... a often talked about subject Mm -hmm. um i think there is a lot of secrecy around this subject and a lot of shame and you know you know there are probably people who are going to listen to this who've been in the same experience or even been in the same church and it's it could be upsetting or it could be i mean just depending on where they are in their journey I guess I would just say just just know that if you have a faith and you believe in God or whatever don't second guess yourself you know trust trust in your own inner gut to know what's right for you mm-hmm. and and keep keep going on the journey because there is healing there is healing and I mean hey I I feel pretty thankful that you know that I'm where I am today that's for sure yeah um I'm thankful too yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow So, you know, there was sort of a reaction within the church and, of course, you can never know what was said and, and what narrative they chose. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there was obviously a reaction from other people who down the road reached out to you and, and you know, some people are still there and, and they still have their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um I'm curious to hear how the reactions to you leaving were with more like your family and your friends, the people in your life outside of the church. Mm-hmm. What kind of response did you get? Well, uh, my family, my parents and my brothers uh, were thrilled. Mm. Um, you know, they were very supportive, obviously. I think they had real concerns about, you know, where your dad's headspace was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could clearly see that my journey started long before your dad's. And as his partner, I had to give him the space. Mm and the time to process this and to figure out what he really believed. And that was really difficult because, like you said, just because I left doesn't mean it was over. Mm-hmm. It actually just began because there was, like, s- several years of he and I still not being on the same page mm-hmm. because he was... 
he was way back where I was at the beginning. And that was over the course of, you know, seven years or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. He still had to process all that. So yeah. I still felt very much alone. Um, but I had some good friends, some girlfriends, my, my family. Um, and I really didn't talk about it too much with anyone else. But, you know, the people who were close to me who knew what we'd gone through. I could definitely talk to them mm-hmm. while at the same time, you know, just really letting your dad do what he had to do because I knew there was nothing I could do. And I, and I respected him and loved him enough that he needed to figure it out. Yeah. Um, his, his family, I mean, I think it wasn't really talked about too much. Um, but I'm, I know his parents were very relieved. Mm -hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, and I don't say this with any disrespect, it's just, you know, the way you're raised or whatever. It was just one of those things where it was sort of like they had their own interpretation of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't really disclose too much between him and I to his parents yeah so they had their own accounts of what they thought happened yeah. and for them it was just over mm-hmm. um yeah so that was kind of a weird thing too because as a couple you're still going through all this oh man stuff in secrecy right yep all behind closed doors all behind closed doors except for my family I was very open with my family yeah um so yeah it's just a very interesting dynamic Mm. um what did it feel like for you to finally know I'm never going back there it was the best day of my life (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry but I have never regretted it ever not even for one millisecond Mm -hmm. like I mean it was just that was it and I I can't even tell you how assured I was that this was the right decision Mm. I mean I was it was like a new it was just like a ton of bricks lifted off my shoulders yeah no kidding yeah Wow. Yeah. Such relief. It really was. You know, I think it, it it changed me in some ways. I don't think it really changed me in a lot of ways at the core of who I am. But mm-hmm. what I what I found interesting is that at first I was thinking, you know, I came full circle. I came back to my roots and all of that. But I don't. I mean, I guess it's just really semantics. It's I just felt like as the weight and the bricks just started falling off, it was as if I was rediscovering with permission who I am. Hmm. Like, it's almost like, you know, this little person that was squashed down in the pit of your stomach and then, you know, little by little, 
she's just rising up and going like I'm here I am here I am (laughs) you know what I mean yeah and I mean that was extremely freeing it was like I I can be who I am and everybody should be who they are yeah there should not be restrictions on that you know you should not be silent and that's something that you've always believed I have always believed yeah so you were taking your power back and taking authority back and giving yourself permission I mean again (laughs) nobody who who was going to that church other than I can think of two people maybe three that were actually close girlfriends um who don't go to the church anymore they would know this because they grew like they were around my family mm-hmm. around my mom um that i was brought up with unconditional love i mean you know that you know um you know, my mom was a very, she had a very strong faith. Mm-hmm. She was not arrogant about it. She was humble. She was quiet about it. She was just, she she allowed people to be who they were. And she loved everyone for who they were. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with that. That was instilled in me before I went to this church. Yeah. That's who I was. Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. And, you know, that part of me, like you say, I've, I've taken my power back. I have given myself the permission and the freedom to say, this is who I am and this is what I stand for. And I'm not going to be silenced and I'm not going to be controlled and manipulated. And I think that's the biggest thing is that I have a little more street smarts in terms of, you know, you can, you can think what you want and you can believe what you want. This is who I am and this is what I believe. And Mm -hmm. I'm a good person. Yeah, you are. And you're not going to control me. Wow. I'm so proud. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there's so much of this story that, that you know, there's not enough time <laughs> to tell mm-hmm. every aspect of your story. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's so much of it that, you're still reflecting on today and yes you know it takes a lifetime and we never really stop learning and um I think something interesting just obviously in the line of your work (laughs) the line of work you're in Mm -hmm. um and also you know there's just so much crossover to violence in general domestic violence sexual violence whatever I mean there's just so many 
parallels. Absolutely. Where your life is affected and so many people who are experiencing these things. Um, it just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. It's very layered. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, any any form of abuse is violence. Yeah. Right? And I think, like, there's a lot of the themes and a lot of the topics we've zeroed in on since we've been talking about this revolves around the impact of, um, you know, internalized misogyny, um, ideas about women and their roles, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of the challenges that we face as girls and women, um, and how we're disproportionately affected by violence. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is all tied together and it's still tied into how we heal and how we come through an experience like that. And, um, it's such a battle to, you know, even get to the healing phase. But even when we get there, there's such a battle internally to even give ourselves permission to take the time and space to heal and and allow ourselves to feel what we feel. You know, it's the struggle is real. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's a constant battle and I think that you know it's something we always have to fight against yeah and and not only fight against but also rally around each other yeah because we need each other and we need the support and we need open-minded open verbal discussions we need listening. Mm-hmm. We need to know that we're safe, mm-hmm. that we won't be judged, that we're not alone, you know. Um, and even when somebody might break away from a, a violent or an abusive situation, they still may not have, they may be out of that situation, but they still may not have the support. And I think it's so important to just constantly be bombarding this message. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. There's somebody that can relate. There's somebody that has experienced the same thing. I think being heard is a huge thing. I mean, that was that was the biggest struggle that I had was like I am trying every which way to communicate. Sometimes not so well, other times, you know, really badly, other times really well. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not being heard. And and I think it's just so important to create a community of women or people in general who are outspokenly saying, we are here, you will be heard. 
you will be safe. We are not alone. I get it. Yeah. Because until that happens, how does healing happen? Yeah. I completely agree. And, you know, I'm so thankful to be able to um, share with people your story and other people's stories and just, you know, put it out there that this is real. And like you said, there's so much that is not talked about. And I'm really here to just fuck that up and be like, we're not going <laughs> to shut up. Like, you know, I, I, I want this to be heard and I want people to be uncomfortable because it's the only way that we learn and it's the only way that things change. And, you know, it, it's why I started this podcast because I'm so pissed off about how much we have to take and at what point um, at what point are things going to change? Exactly. You know, we, we just, I'm going to say it, we cannot rely on men to protect us. Um, and as women, we can relate to each other's experience of feeling unsafe. And I agree completely that we need to support each other and listen to each other and have empathy for each other um, in order to heal. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap up, I guess, um, you know, we've talked about a lot and, and, you know, I'm sure we're just, we've just kind of covered the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Um, but yeah, where are things at for you today in your journey? Well, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I, I don't, think about this subject a lot I mean things will come up or whatever I'll be reading something or Mm -hmm. I'll have a conversation with somebody I certainly um rarely think about you know the church I was involved in or whatever um it's it's not something that holds me down or holds me back I feel pretty strong in my my healing journey and where I'm at um obviously I'm you know your mom I'm midlife (laughs) and and that brings a whole other element um you know of being a woman I think I think I feel extremely confident in who I am now and um I love it (laughs) (laughs) you know it just we're doing a disservice to the world when we try to be anything other than our true self. Because, I mean, if, if anyone believes that, you know, we were put here for a purpose, what other purpose could there be than being who you are? Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you have been created this way if that's something you believe? Like, I wouldn't have been created who I am to be somebody else yeah it's 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 absurd yeah that's true so I mean it's just I'm grateful for the experience in some ways um and and that way would be because there may be a day when 
I can just be there and hold the space for somebody who's gone through the same experience and is and is at the beginning of their journey, you know? And if I hadn't had that experience, I might not be able to be there for them. Somebody else would. But, you know, I, I do recognize that um, it's a way I can just be. I can just be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms, of my, in terms of my journey, I still do a lot of reading. Um, I'm s- certainly expanded my sort of vision of, you know, what, what kind of, what I'm open to, I guess. And, you know, bottom line is what I'm open to is all people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, I think there's a residual, uh, what would you call it? Just a residual. Like effect. Effect. That's a good word. Yeah. You know, that is always sort of there um, with your dad too. Like, you know, we still talk about things sometimes, not very often, but we laugh a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we shake our heads a lot and think, oh my goodness, what the heck? But for the most part, you know, we're still here, mm-hmm. still thriving. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you've kind of made peace with what happened. For sure. I mean, it's a cycle of abuse, right? And the people who are abusers came from their own cycle. And that's something that has really helped me let go of the justice piece. Because it's like, it's still wrong. It still affected me. It's still, I still would like justice. However, they are just another spoke in the wheel of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And they clearly came from a past cycle. And that's, again, why it's so important to talk about this, is to break those cycles. Yeah. Well, you are. You, you've done it. You've broken a cycle. You know, we could have been kids who grew up in that church and went to that school and, yep. you know, stayed there. And I know that you saw that. Yep. And you refused. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you did break a cycle. I did. So. And I'm that's, glad. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And that's what it's all about is, you know, that's the power that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a controlled environment might seem great for s- some people. I mean, even parents that were there, you know, control my kids. They're mm-hmm. just they're going to be in these four walls, and we're going <laughs> to monitor every single thing they do. And, of course, I've heard tons of stories about families and kids there who went through all sorts of stuff because that's, life you cannot control your kids and I didn't want that for my kids I wanted my kids to allow you guys to learn how to make choices and decisions and think critically because I think that's necessarily necessary to become mature self-aware adults yeah 
It is. And like, you know, we also learned um, from this experience that like we can trust our gut and absolutely, you know, it's never too late to heal and it's never too late to get out of a situation that you might feel stuck in. Yep. Um, there's always a way out and the rewards are better. Like yeah. well, <laughs> the you, reward is higher. You're to allowed to grow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story and, you know, we've talked about bits and pieces um, as I've gotten older and, you know, asking questions and just wanting to know more about the history and, you know, I have so much gratitude every time you share a mm. part of your story because I just think it's so powerful and, you know, you you as my mother but also woman to woman, mm-hmm. you know, there's just some, some cool magic in that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm grateful and, and thankful that you're willing to share your story and for sure. Well, thanks know, for asking me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that we have a lot more to unpack and, you know, there's probably some cool episodes in the future. So I'm looking forward to to recording more with you right on i'm game <laughs> that's good yeah well thank you so much everyone for tuning in on this episode of unlearn now learn um and stay tuned for more hopefully we'll hear from jen again soon thanks yeah